I'm Tracy Sable. Tonight on EWTN News Nightly, War in Ukraine. The Biden administration is seeking to deliver more aid as the conflict nears its two-year anniversary. Pro-life pushback. Lawmakers introduce a measure to defend pregnancy care centers who may lose federal funding for not offering abortions. Scandalous service. The Archdiocese of New York responds after a controversial funeral inside of St. Patrick's Cathedral. We have analysis from Dr. Matthew Bunsen. And give me a break. Pope Francis shares advice on how to use Lent to give up bad habits. These stories and more tonight. From EWTN, the Global Catholic Network, this is EWTN News Nightly. Thank you for being with us. Our top story tonight, President Joe Biden once again blasts congressional lawmakers who are holding up more funding for Ukraine as it battles back against Russia's invasion. Over the weekend, he called the lack of military aid absurd and unethical. And today, returning to the White House from Delaware, the president told reporters that he has never seen anything like it. White House correspondent Owen Jensen reports. Owen. Tracy, good evening to you. President Joe Biden's comments today come as Russia says it's taken over a town in eastern Ukraine, giving the Kremlin a victory in the ongoing war there. And now the foreign aid package that includes $61 billion for Ukraine is tonight going nowhere. On the South Lawn, President Joe Biden says House Republicans are making a big mistake. The way they're walking away from the threat of Russia, the way they're walking away from NATO, the way they're walking away from meeting our obligations is is, is just shocking. The president also asked about punishing Russia after Russian opposition leader Alexei Navalny's sudden death last week, widely blamed on Vladimir Putin. We already have sanctions moving and we're considering additional sanctions, yes. And Navalny's widow in a new video vowing to continue her husband's fight against the Kremlin, saying she knows exactly why Putin killed him and promises to name names soon. And Vice President Kamala Harris signaled U.S. support for Ukraine during her meeting with the country's president this past weekend in Munich. But it is good to see you again. The vice president later spoke out against Russia while standing alongside Volodymyr Zelensky. Because of our collective strength, this war has been an utter failure for Putin. Meanwhile, Republican presidential candidate Nikki Haley criticized both Biden and former President Donald Trump at a campaign stop in South Carolina today. You've got Joe Biden putting his head in the sand. And you've got Donald Trump who said on a stage in Conway that not only would he not defend NATO countries if they didn't pull their weight, but that he would encourage Putin to invade the countries if they didn't pull their weight. On social media, Trump posted, the sudden death of Alexei Navalny has made me more and more aware of what is happening in our country. It is a slow, steady progression with crooked, radical left politicians, prosecutors, and judges leading us down a path to destruction. Now, opponents of more aid say the U.S. simply cannot keep writing more checks, that supplies are limited, and that a negotiated peace has to happen. Meanwhile, Ukraine's military tonight warning of dire shortages of ammunition and artillery. Now, separately, tomorrow, President Biden heads to California for three days where he'll be holding political events. At the White House, Owen Jensen, EWTN News Nightly. 
I'll turn now to the crisis in the Middle East and a grim milestone. Since the war began in October, the Hamas-run health ministry reports more than 29,000 Palestinians have died. This, as a member of Israel's war cabinet today, warned of an expanded ground offensive in Gaza. If by Ramadan hostages are not home, the fighting will continue everywhere to include Rafah area. And for the Islamic holy month of Ramadan, the Israeli government is also discussing whether to increase restrictions at the Al-Aska Mosque in Jerusalem. Officials said that they will announce their decision in the coming days. Tensions are also mounting on the Red Sea. The U.S. military conducted a new round of strikes against Houthi rebels targets over the weekend. These new strikes include targeting what U.S. Central Command says is the first unmanned water vessel used since the attacks began. Well, a missile attack by Houthi rebels has damaged a ship to the point that the crew had to abandon it. Houthis also claim they shot down an American drone. And for analysis, we bring in Colonel Eric Buer, retired Marine Corps aviator and author of the book, The Ghosts of Baghdad. Colonel, good to be with you again. So what do you make of these latest attacks by the Houthis? Uh, it seems the militant group is not letting up. No, they're, they've been emboldened. They've, uh, they've, they've suffered... Uh, the first reprisals after the uh, Tower 22 attacks, uh, we focused on the Islamic uh, resistance in Iraq, turned back to the Houthis. Um, they went kind of radio silent, but uh, they, they don't seem to be deterred at all. And so, uh, you know, as an Iranian proxy, they feel they've got the upper hand with, in this case, some technology, some uh, continued supply chain from Iran and Iranian leadership that remains on the ground. Yeah, and I understand the United States recently reinstated sanctions against the Houthis, but obviously, you know, as we talked about, it doesn't really seem to be a deterrent to them. In fact, they're ramping up their attacks. So what do you think the United States should do now? Well, we need to continue to isolate them. So they need to know they're going to be isolated. They're only about, not only, but they're about 200,000 strong. Uh, they're, they're fighting an internal civil war with the Yemeni government. They're certainly in a fighting a continued war uh, against the Saudis. So opening this third front uh, in really an assault on international shipping is it's a one way ticket for them. They're, they're, it's really there's no winning for them in this case. So I think they have to realize that their Iranian proxies are going to at some point leave them to uh, to their own demise. And they need probably really they need to probably realize that much sooner than later. Um, otherwise, they will be uh, target of all U.S. allied you know, British, we have clearly their uh, uh, strikes and reprisals. Yeah, the Houthis did say previously that they um, would only stop their attacks, uh, in particular in the Red Sea, until Israel ends the war in Gaza. And, of course, that's not happening anytime soon. Uh, as we heard, Israel plans to push forward with its ground offensive into Rafah unless the hostages held by Hamas are released by the start of Ramadan. Uh, that is, of course, next month. Colonel, if Israel and Hamas can't reach some sort of compromise, where do you see this all going? So the so Hamas needs to realize what they're asking for is completely unbalanced. So they're saying they want 1,500 prisoners released, and they'll be released five Israeli soldiers who are captured. So it's unbalanced. It continues can, can, can to remain unbalanced. Uh, one thing you can count on with the Israelis is keeping their word. So uh, the 10th of March comes, uh, nothing's happened. They're going to roll forces, uh, continue it all the way back down towards the Rafah Gate. And that's good for no one, uh, particularly the Palestinian people, who Hamas continues to ignore, has continually ignored uh, since the 7th of October.
you know, do you see this turning into a wider conflict? You know, I, I I think right now it's it's a it's about as wide as it's going to get. I think the 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 intensity may ramp up. I think the violence will ramp up. But we've got to remember this is Iranian proxies. So it's Iranian supported Hamas, Iranian supported Hezbollah, Iranian supported the Islamic resistance in Iraq who conducted the Tower 22 attacks, and certainly their support to the Houthis. And so um, it really goes back to how effectively can you put pressure on Tehran to rein in their proxies. Or a, a potentially more dangerous scenario is have those proxies now um, gone rogue. Those proxies feel that they can act uh, on their own without direction from Tehran. It's a little bit of a wait and see. Uh, the closest, uh, the, or the closest here we're going to see now is going to be the 10th of March uh, as Ramadan kicks off. And what type of political solution there can be fostered between Hamas and Israel? Well, Colonel, thank you so much for coming on and for your insights. Always appreciate it. Thank you. Have a great night. Well, the Biden administration continues its pro-abortion agenda. One initiative is targeting pro-life pregnancy centers. And now some Republican lawmakers are sponsoring legislation to keep the funding for those pregnancy care centers. Capitol Hill correspondent Eric Rosales has that story. Eric? Good evening. The Biden administration wants to cut funding for crisis pregnancy centers from the Temporary Assistance for Needy Families program, known as TAMF. It currently provides $16.5 billion in federal funding to states to help low-income families and crisis pregnancy centers. Out of the blue, President Biden's health department issued a regulation and said states cannot use this welfare money, this TANF money, for pregnancy crisis centers anymore. And we're going, what? Where did this come from? Right now, TAMF money helps about 2,700 centers across the nation, providing pregnancy tests, counseling, sonograms, even diapers and strollers to women in need. They are a godsend, and they're saying that monies for for welfare, the TANF money, uh, is, is, is not going, they're precluded from getting it. Uh, are you kidding? They're front line. But when you think that Planned Parenthood gets over a million dollars a year and they don't want pregnancy centers to get that same funding, that's pretty telling about those behind trying to stop this. Now pro-life lawmakers are supporting a bill that seeks to protect TAMP funding for crisis pregnancy centers. They tell me nothing in the bipartisan law that created TAMP gives the administration the authority to unfairly target these centers. President Biden and the loon wing of his party have all these radical changes, and they're trying to destroy our crisis pregnancy centers, and we're going to stop them. Pregnancy care centers outnumber abortion clinics by three to one nationwide. Democrats and medical groups warn that these centers don't answer to state and health regulators. They also say crisis pregnancy centers falsely advertise themselves as comprehensive health clinics. Many of these CPCs are not health care providers, and they often operate specifically to deceive pregnant women with the goal of preventing them from having abortions. The bill passed the House in late January and has the backing of pro-life groups and even the U.S. Conference of Catholic Bishops. Senator Kennedy and others are now trying to get Majority Leader Chuck Schumer to bring the measure to the floor for a vote. At the Capitol, Eric Rosales, EWTN News Nightly. We have a lot more still to come here on EWTN News Nightly, including crackdown on religion, new developments in the Ortega regime's targeting of the faithful. And a different event in New York City brought together thousands of the faithful from around the world.
Taking a step back for the Synodal Way in Germany, the country's bishops say they will not vote on a step toward establishing a Synodal Council. The Vatican requested that the vote be cancelled. The council would feature lay people and church leaders. The Holy See says the German Synod does not have the authority to create the governing body. Well, the Ortega regime in Nicaragua has shut down several more social and religious groups. Among those that were banned were the Scouts Organization. The government says the Scouts failed to report financial statements. Since protests against the regime in 2018, more than 3,500 social and religious groups have been shut down. Well, as we recently reported, four Catholic bishops recently met with drug cartel leaders in Mexico, seeking an end to a recent spike of violence. Mexico's president, Andreas Manuel Lopez Albrador, says that he supports the meetings. He added that faith leaders can play an important role in bringing peace. One priest from Mexico blamed the government for the violence, saying the negotiations with drug leaders would not be necessary if the lawmakers were doing their jobs. Joining us now is Jason Poblet, president of the Global Liberty Alliance and an expert on Latin American political affairs. Jason, good to have you back on the show. So what more can you tell us about the meetings and the threat the Mexican drug cartels pose to the church? Tracy, you know, it's it's curious how Lopez Obrador tries to shift the blame, but ultimately this is a failure of his campaign, hugs, not bullets. He has completely... Uh, put law enforcement on the side and has allowed the cartels to run rampant throughout the country. And for Americans watching this, it's very important. This city may be 1,500 miles away from the U.S.-Mexico border, but we're talking about transnational criminal cartels. And what happened in the state of Guerrero, you had four bishops down there who I believe, like in Nicaragua, were forced to fill a space. And as you know, Tracy, I've talked about this before. I, you want civil authorities to do this sort of thing. Uh, unfortunately, the bishops, and in the, in the case of, of Mexico, uh, you know, the Catholic Church has a very special place. So this is not the first time this has happened. And I think it's a positive in the sense that if it leads to a truce and protection for the church, there are bishops in Mexico, by the way, who are under death threat by these cartels. Fine. But there should not be a space that the Catholic Church filled. There should be a space filled by the Mexican government, which, by the way, there's an election coming in the summer, and I wouldn't be too surprised if some of this is politics. You know, real fast on what's happening in Guerrero, the schools were closed, the transportation routes were closed. You have organizations that are operating at the margin of the law, these transnational criminal cartels, the people that we talk about on your show a lot, engaging in human trafficking, opioid trafficking, a lot of really bad stuff. And in that community, they're controlling everything. So somebody had to do something, the church stepped in. And by the way, it's not without controversy. There's a lot of criticism for the church doing it. I think on average, it's it's generally okay. But I also think that this is not a space the church should be filling, civil authorities should be filling. And the U.S. government, working with Mexico, should be trying to stem some of this violence in Mexico. Yeah, it's pretty astounding, I would say, Jason. You know, do you think this gives the cartels maybe a sense of legitimacy they're negotiating with the church or at least talking to the bishops? It depends on how it's being couched, but yes. And one of the questions I have is how did this meeting even come to light? Remember, they, they didn't meet with some intermediaries. They met with the head of four, potentially more, of the criminal cartels. Did they do this because they were forced to do this? Did the church have to do it because they were being threatened? I mean, it's, it's quite possible they were being threatened. There's a lot we do not know. I think that 
it does give them a patina of legitimacy, but at the same time, keep in mind that some of these cartels, as you know, are involved in a lot of public, you know, it's, it's uh, civil society support, if you will, and the cartels start filling gaps that the state's not filling, that the private sector, which is the one who should be filling it, is not filling it. But when the private sector is under assault by these cartels, you see it's a very complicated situation. In Congress, by the way, here in the United States, as you know, there's a commission that's been put together to study transnational criminal cartels from Mexico to see how we can do better. We must do better, because if you don't get to the root of these problems thousands of miles away from the U.S.-Mexico border, they'll find their way over here. This is a very serious problem. We have to get a better handle on it. And, of course, the Mexican government under the left-wing leadership of AMLO has failed. Now we got to figure out what to do next. The Catholic Church did this. I hope the Catholic Church uh, takes steps to separate itself from this sort of thing. But they have to protect their priests. They have to protect their bishops. And more importantly, they're sacrificing for their people. A lot of people have died down there. Yeah, absolutely. Jason, thank you for coming on. We are praying for all of them down there, especially those bishops. Thank you for your insights. Always appreciate it. Thank you, Trace. Up next on EWTN News Nightly, Mass of Reparation, how one of the nation's most well-known cathedrals is handling the fallout from a controversial funeral. Plus, the Holy Father had advice for the faithful on breaking bad habits. continues following a controversial funeral service held last week at St. Patrick's Cathedral in New York City. The cathedral hosted the service for a known transgender activist and former so-called sex worker. The funeral featured inappropriate elements and behavior. It is unclear if cathedral staff were aware that the deceased was a man who identified as a woman. At the direction of Cardinal Timothy Dolan, a mass of reparation has been celebrated inside of St. Patrick's. And for analysis, we turn now to Dr. Matthew Bunsen, Vice President and Editorial Director for EWTN News. Matthew, great to have you back. Um, this funeral has definitely uh, set off many alarm bells. What more do we know about it, and how and why was this service permitted inside of St. Patrick's? Well, your, your observation about alarm bells and concern and unhappiness and scandal, uh, it's almost an understatement uh, in terms of what uh, the details have uh, really come forward about what happened at this funeral service. We know that uh, the, after the passing of this uh, transgender activist, uh, that those around this person uh, targeted specifically St. Patrick's Cathedral in the hopes of having a funeral there. Uh, we know as well that uh, by their own admission, they were deceptive. They were not clear uh, about uh, who this person was. And uh, they also were un very hazy about whether this person was even Catholic. Uh, so we know as well, based on the reaction from St. Patrick's Cathedral, that this deception uh, was executed and apparently the, the service went ahead. Uh, the rector for the, the pastor for St. Patrick's Cathedral made the observation that this was uh, sacrilegious and deceptive. And I think that's a, a very useful pair of words for exactly what happened at St. Patrick's. Yeah, Matthew, people have asked, um, you know, why wasn't this service stopped once it was realized what was transpiring in, say, uh, inside of St. Patrick's? Do we know any more about that? And would that have even been possible? 
Well, we know that uh, once the service began, uh, what was apparently going to be some sort of a funeral mass was suddenly shifted or changed uh, to a funeral service. You can actually hear that being said on the, the live stream of the, the funeral service. So that change took place almost immediately. I think the decision uh, to allow this to proceed was one that they made on the spot. Uh, I would imagine that looking back on it, they may regret this. Although, uh, as uh, the archdiocese went at some lengths to point out uh, that those who ask for a funeral uh, are given welcome. Uh, I think this is an episode, however, where appropriate due diligence might have been uh, very important here. Yeah, and as we mentioned, there has since been uh, a reparation mass inside of St. Patrick's. Um, what's involved in that, and how unusual is it for that to take place? Well, a reparation mass is uh, sometimes and unfortunately needed. Uh, we had one just last year, for example, uh, in the Diocese of Brooklyn when a church there was used uh, for the filming, a sacrilegious filming, of a violent and overly sexual uh, video. Uh, a mass of reparation was held there, and, and the phrasing that uh, was used at that time was a restoration of the sanctity of the church. Certainly, we wanted to have restored to St. Patrick's uh, the sanctity of this sacred place. But a mass of reparation is also for the expiation of our sins and the sins that might have been committed. And in this case, I think a, a mass of reparation was more than appropriate uh, for St. Patrick's Cathedral, given what all of us saw transpire there. Yeah. And, and what do you think is the main takeaway yeah, from all I, of this? I think uh, one of the biggest takeaways from this is uh, we need to do due diligence as a church. This is a wake-up call, not just for St. Patrick's Cathedral, but for churches and dioceses all over the United States and even around the world. If, in fact, as is apparently the case, uh, St. Patrick's was targeted, it is very likely that we're going to see uh, churches and cathedrals and dioceses targeted in the future for similar events like this. So I, I can guarantee right now there are conversations taking place in diocesan chanceries and in, in various parishes across the United States about making sure that those who ask for funerals uh, actually are those who are honest in their intentions and their desires to have a funeral for a loved one. Yeah. Dr. Bunsen, thank you for coming on for your insights. Good to be it's with really you. It's really helpful. And we appreciate it. God bless. Also in New York, an event of a different kind. This past weekend, thousands of the faithful from around the country gathered for a unique event focused on strengthening our faith. EWTN's Mark Irons was at New York Encounter and filed this report. Tracy, what we experienced here was New York Encounter. Now, for three days, thousands of people gathered from all around the country for talks, exhibits, and really sharing with one another. This annual gathering stems from a lay Catholic movement known as Communion and Liberation. That was founded in 1950s Italy by a Catholic priest, Father Luigi Giussani. But what was created here, I think, was an atmosphere, a welcoming atmosphere, where anyone, regardless of faith background or where they might be in their faith journey, can come and encounter one another in our shared humanity. And there were talks and exhibits dedicated to that. What does it mean to be human, and how can we relate to one another in the sufferings of life and the joys. There were talks about real issues that are harmful to life that were seen today, like the ongoing war between Israel and Hamas, and a culture that is now accepting euthanasia and assisted suicide. 
And at the same time, there was also a celebration of art and music and food and good fellowship and how all of these things can ultimately reveal the reality of Christ who is with us in both those joys and sufferings. But what was unique here is that though the New York Encounter was inspired by a lay Catholic movement founded by a Catholic priest, this conference is not pegged as an explicitly religious event. Uh, the truth is many men and women who come here and have been coming for years say that Christ, yes, is the unifying factor, but we can experience him in all aspects of our life, and we should live our faith even outside of the walls of church on Sunday. Having said that, there was Catholic Mass. Cardinal Timothy Dolan concelebrated with Dozens of other priests, over a thousand people gathered for Mass on Sunday. The Papal Nuncio, Cardinal Christophe Pierre, was here. This was a free event, Tracy, open to all, including young families. And I think what we really witnessed here was many Catholic men and women coming together, trying to authentically live their faith, trusting God that He will lead them no matter where they walk in life. From the New York Encounter in New York City, I'm Mark Irons, EWTN News Nightly. And finally, tonight, Pope Francis says Lent is a time to encounter both wild beasts and angels. At the Sunday address, the Holy Father reflected upon the temptation of Christ in the desert. Pope Francis underlined that we, too, must enter into our own interior wilderness during Lent, saying that doing so will make us aware of our disordered passions and bad habits to permit the voice of God to speak to our hearts. Oh, we thank you for watching tonight. And remember, you can follow us on social media, Facebook, X, and Instagram at EWTN News Nightly. I'm Tracy Sable. Good night and God bless.